This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Cryptos continue to terrify those more accustomed to the gentle pace of traditional investments. What can one say about the 54% drop in Bitcoin and the 60% drop in Ethereum over the last three months? To those in the traditional investment space, it matters little that Bitcoin is still up nearly threefold over the last year, and Ethereum is up an astonishing sevenfold from its level of July 2020. The kind of whiplash that we've seen in the last few months is a turnoff for many investors who prefer the comparatively genteel pace of stocks and bonds. Can, and indeed should they, be persuaded to abandon their fear of cryptos, which after all exist in a regulatory no man's land? And what about the dangers of custody? And what's all this hype about blockchain and how it will do for investments what the internet did for communications? Joining us to unpack all of this is Gaurav Nair, co-founder of alternative investments group Jeltic. First of all, welcome Gaurav. Let's get straight into this issue of traditional versus crypto investments. Why should people consider investing in cryptos? After all, the volatility of cryptos is truly terrifying for people accustomed to the stock or bond markets. Thanks for having me, Kieran. Um, well, I think the one thing that a lot of people believe is that uh, cryptocurrencies are an amazing technology. As you mentioned, uh, relating to the internet, a lot of people believe it could be much bigger than the internet with what it enables. Um, and one can just imagine getting into Amazon in its very early days when it had first listed and enjoying the valuation now. But aside from your views on whether or not that's the case, um, the volatility that you talk about, it's actually a feature of the investment and not a bug. You need volatility on the upside in order to grow a portfolio. And high volatility means that even if you allocate a small portion of your portfolio into crypto assets, it is effective. And the one thing which you can say, independent of your belief in Bitcoin, in whether or not governments will ban it, uh, in whether or not there's a story to be had about lots of inflation and why Bitcoin's a good investment, no matter what your views on all of that, the one thing about Bitcoin which no one can deny is that the return potential is asymmetric. And, and, and what do I mean by this? So what I mean is that when you make an investment into Bitcoin or into other cryptocurrencies, they can only, you can only lose your initial investment. So if you invest 100 Rand, the maximum you can lose is 100. However, it could go up 20 times or any number, in which case, if it did 20 times, then you're at 2,000 Rand. So you've gained 1,900 Rand, but your potential is only to lose 100. And because these cryptocurrencies, a lot of them, they are not linked to the earnings or profits of a business. There's no fundamental number that it's linked to. It's purely supply and demand related. There's no reason why the valuations can't just get higher and higher and higher. The price can't just get higher. And a favorite example of mine is if you allocate 2% of your investment portfolio into cryptocurrencies and it goes to zero, it actually ends up being worth nothing. A 2.5% return on the rest of your portfolio, on the remaining 98%, actually brings you back to the same number. So a very small return brings you back. However, if it does do 20 times, 
then it ends up being 50% of your returns and it ends up being a significant portion of your portfolio. So no matter what your opinion is, you can't deny the asymmetric potential of cryptocurrencies. And that's why investors should be considering even a small allocation into cryptocurrencies. Okay, so basically it's the opportunity to make huge upside where your downside is limited. There are some other differences between cryptos and traditional investments. And maybe just take us through a few of those. Yeah, that's that's very true. You know, when we consider traditional investments, if you consider unit trusts or dealing with any financial institution, insurance company, uh, a bank, et cetera, what you face is you have an entity that's regulated and that provides you some peace of mind and some protection. Um, however, the nature of the relationship is one of trust. You, When you give your money to any of these institutions, you trust that they will keep it. You trust that they won't steal it. You trust that when you uh, ask for it, they'll give it back to you. And the other term we use is that the financial system is a permissioned system. You need permission. You need to complete FICA and KYC and et cetera to get into the system. Um, and that's what we're used to, of course. Now, the crypto space, you have the opposite. You have no regulations. And the fact that you have no regulations in the crypto space leads to a lot of very innovative product design that isn't happening in the traditional space or the traditional space is happening, it's happening at a much slower rate. Um, the other thing, of course, is that the crypto space is trustless in that um, once you've invested into, into, let's say, Bitcoin, you don't need to trust anyone that those Bitcoin are there. And it goes into the discuss discussion about custody, which you mentioned earlier. You don't need to trust that the institution that you've given it to is not going to go bankrupt. And it's also permissionless. Uh, if you want to buy Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, make transactions, send it, et cetera, you don't need anyone's permission. No one can stop you from doing it. Uh, there's no ch chance that you're excluded from the financial system. A lot of people currently are excluded from the financial system because they can't go through FICA or KYC. They don't have the right documents and so on. The unbanked, as they're called. So these are the, the benefits of crypto and really the differences of kind of the traditional versus the crypto system. Of course, it comes with drawbacks. Uh, when there's no regulation, a lot more of the responsibility falls on you. You've got to do your own research. You've got to understand. Um, you've got to understand the value, you've got to make sure that you're comfortable with the technology, et cetera. Um, and also given its unregulated nature, it means that you can't necessarily get formal financial advice on it. And these are things which investors are not used to dealing with. They're used to dealing with the traditional financial system. They actually like the, the trust and the permission nature of it. They like getting financial advice, et cetera. So a lot of investors find this hard to deal with. It's a good point. The, the, the absence of Regulation means that you're not able to get advice on how you should put together a portfolio. And of course, the big thing is this trustless thing that you mentioned. So if something goes wrong, if I buy Bitcoin and I send it off to the wrong person uh, or I get hoodwinked into sending my Bitcoin to somebody that I shouldn't, there's no ways that I can get that back. So, I mean, if there's no recourse against anyone, if something goes wrong, what does one do in the absence of regulation? How does one protect oneself? Well, so... So the two points I mentioned about you know, being self-reliant and research applies. But as I said, most investors, uh, you know, individuals, as well as you know, corporates and financial institutions, they are not geared for this. Uh, a lot of us have jobs that are not in the alternative investment space and can't spend the time and effort to upskill themselves, to do all the research, et cetera. 
And so what a lot of uh, service providers are doing are they're creating solutions that actually bridge this gap. They actually marry the traditional way of doing things with investment exposure to crypto. And they are taking on voluntary voluntary regulations and they and, and sometimes they're then able to then go through financial advisors. And some of the more uh, progressive financial advisors are finding ways to then give advice to their clients based on research and so on, et cetera. So they can take that burden off their clients' hands. Because of course, for financial advisors, it's their job to do that all day long. Whereas for an individual, they may not have the, the capacity to do so. And the, the non-regulated nature can also be an opportunity. The reason I say that is that regulations will eventually come and that'll be both a blessing and a curse at the time. But when it does come, what it'll allow is it'll allow a lot of people who are either unsure or excluded because they can't deal with unregulated instruments, it'll allow them to come in, allow the mainstream to come in. And of course, for early investors who are already in, already have exposure, who've who, who found a way to get in, they will be the beneficiaries of prices being driven up by the mainstream coming in now that the space is regulated, et cetera. All right. A lot of people who've bought crypto on an exchange, they assume that it's safe, but there are some risks. Maybe just go through what are the dangers of leaving your crypto on an exchange. And perhaps it should also be pointed out that an exchange, unlike the JSE, which is the, the exchange you would go to if you want to buy stocks and shares. And of course, there are there are other exchanges apart from that. But the thing about an exchange, whether it's Luno or Vala or Altcoin Trader, they each are its own exchange and they each have their own prices for the same assets, for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, and so on and so forth. But just go through, what are the, the risks of leaving your crypto on an exchange? So the exchanges, since a lot of people, are, of course, trading on there and hence leaving their coins on there, um, they are what we call honeypots they are very attractive targets to hackers. And there've been many high profile losses due to exchange hacks all around the world. Now, of course, exchanges work very hard on security um, and they blow their brains out on how to keep the, the cryptocurrencies that are on there safe. But they are, we can't deny, they are the largest and most obvious targets. Now, if you consider that exchanges their function is to provide people the ability to trade their cryptocurrencies. And hence, using taking custody of your assets when you're not trading them and taking them off the exchange and taking custody of them in some way can keep them safer because now they're no longer in this environment that's kind of the largest target. And of course, even if the exchange itself is not hacked, by keeping your assets on an exchange, you open yourself up to personal hacks where you know phishing scams etc where people actually get access to your exchange account and then by getting access to your exchange account the exchange itself has not been hacked they're able to still take the value of your coins out of that exchange okay then what, what about the dangers of self-custody so there there are ways that you can actually take your bitcoin or your crypto off an exchange and you can store it on a device or in a, in a wallet what is called a wallet and that's called self-custody what are the dangers of that there's a, there's a stat out there which people, uh, people claim that 20% of all Bitcoin in this example has been estimated to be lost forever. As in people took, took these assets into, into their wallets or into these devices, as you, as you talked about, Kieran, and they are just 
unable to access the device, the device got destroyed, et cetera, and they're unable to get that value back ever. And something which a lot of people don't appreciate is that when you take self-custody, there is no forgot password function. You can't just click a link and then a link goes to your email and you reset your password. By taking your assets, by taking your cryptocurrencies into self-custody, if you forget your password, if the device is destroyed, some people, they actually write it down. They write down their, their private key, it's called. Uh, if you do that and it's, it gets burnt or lost or misplaced, et cetera, it's lost forever. And given the, you know, the stellar increase in prices, even after the drop recently, uh, these can be seriously valuable amounts of, um, of cryptocurrencies. And the way that people can lose access is they can have an IT failure. They themselves can be hacked. They can be theft. And there's numerous horror stories about this, about people losing value. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that people often don't think about is that even if you keep, do all of this perfectly well, and then something happens to you and you die, your heirs may not be able not to get access. They may not know your password. They may lose access in some way. And I'm sure that over time, as people get used to this new world and it becomes the norm in five, 10 years, et cetera, then the risk of this will drop off and people will, will grow up understanding this. Uh, but right now, people are unused to this new world. And so self-custody itself carries a lot of risk. And the other thing about self-custody is that people are still establishing the best practices when it comes to self-custody out there. So a lot of the guys in the early days, they didn't even know how to self-custody their, their assets and hence lost it. It's an interesting point. 20% of all Bitcoin that's out there is probably lost forever because people have lost the keys or it's been stolen or whatever. And if you consider the, the market cap of Bitcoin, let's just say at a trillion, uh, it's a bit less than that at the moment, but it, it was a few months ago. That is a huge amount of money um, that is locked up there and possibly lost forever. Okay. Now, companies and financial institutions are struggling with this new asset class, and I'm keen to pursue why this is so. There are companies and financial institutions that are struggling with this new asset class, and I want to pursue this with you, why that is the case. Because if we look at companies like MicroStrategy and Square, which is Jack Dorsey, the Twitter founder, Jack Dorsey's company, they're big backers of Bitcoin, and they really believe in this, but others are not. Why is this? Why are some companies struggling with this? Well, I think that what MicroStrategy and Square have done is really commendable. But for most companies, they are just intensely focused on doing their own business, whatever that is, companies and financial institutions. So we're talking about pension funds, et cetera. They're focused on making good investments if it's a pension fund. And they don't have the time and capacity and know-how to build up all the systems and processes, et cetera, to do this safely. We just talked about the dangers of self-custody. And that also applies equally to companies and financial institutions, probably more so because the scales of the amounts are much higher, of course. Um, and so with that focus on just what's their core business, they still sometimes want exposure to this asset loss. We made the argument about this potentially being something akin to the early days of the internet. We also made the argument about the asymmetric returns. And so people that believe in this are one of the other variety of arguments that are good are reasons to invest in cryptocurrencies. They want exposure, and especially the case for financial institutions. But their systems, their controls, et cetera, they don't actually uh, cater for cryptocurrencies. 
So if you take into example a typical policy in either a company or in a financial institution, something called a limits of authority policy. And that says, if you're spending up to 50,000 Rand, you need two signatures in order to release a payment. If it's more, it needs to go to a higher level manager. If it's even higher, it needs to go to the board, et cetera. Those kind of policies and so on are often instantiated into technology in those companies. And of course, the financial players that they deal with, like banks, actually have their own checks. So when an unusual transaction goes through a company, the bank actually calls up and checks, you know, they try and prevent fraud. So this is the environment that companies and financial institutions are, are used to. And when you go to a permissionless, trustless system of self-custody, they have serious difficulties. And one can just imagine, what would one do if a company invested into Bitcoin, would they give the, the private key to the CFO? And given the nature of Bitcoin, the irreversibility of transactions that you highlighted earlier, Karen, that CFO could just run away with, you know, could be a significant amount of money with millions of rands and would be able to use those Bitcoin elsewhere and no one would be able to reserve, uh, reverse those transactions. So they don't know how to custody the assets. They don't know how to keep it safe. They're not used to keeping the money in the vault uh, per se. And so they need a digital vault and they don't know how to do that. Furthermore, they also don't know how to account for it. It's very important for them that they need to put it into their financial statements, et cetera. And even just something as simple as trading, as actually buying into the asset, getting out of it when they need liquidity again, they don't have the expertise to execute on that either. And sometimes, furthermore, they need financial advice. So given the unregulated nature, given the fact that financial advisors often don't advise on these products because they're unregulated, companies and financial institutions find themselves with a numerous hurdles to actually try and get exposure to this asset class. It's an interesting point you raise about how to account for cryptos. If you look at uh, companies like Square and even Tesla, where up to a few months ago, and even now, quite a bit of the interest in the share has got to do with its exposure to Bitcoin. Uh, it might be a very exaggerated uh, interest or an exaggerated exposure. But how do companies start accounting for this? Do they do this on a mark-to-mark basis? In other words, that you know, if the price goes up 10% in a day, they've adjusted the value of their, their holding by 10% or they do it on a cost basis. How would you go about that? So, so here, there's actually numerous policies that one can take that are allowed by, by IFRS, that's the Inter- International Financial Reporting Standards, uh, as long as one has reasons for doing that. In South Africa, our situation is further complicated because the various exchanges don't necessarily have the deep amount of liquidity that the international exchanges have. And so you need to take into account also in your accounting policies that will you be able to actually realize the whole amount at what price? You can't just take the final traded price because if you're in a position where you're selling, you may, you may actually move the price given the levels of liquidity. And so an, a full policy has to actually be developed around how you're going to account for it and your need for being able to liquidate it. And that whole policy has to be coherent. I think it's also interesting to note that uh, Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy, when he was asked this this question is, you know, converting his Bitcoin back into US dollars in his case, he's not really concerned about that. Uh, He's concerned about Bitcoin as a safe haven, uh, basically from, from fiat, because fiat has been depreciating in US dollar terms by about 3.4% for uh, since the Second World War. 
And his whole basis of investing in this is if you project 10, 20 years from the future, how are you best going to serve your shareholders? You best share them by going into a sound base currency, which in his case is, is Bitcoin. So having spoken about this and the type of things that companies are battling with, I, I can see that there's this absolute terror of, of going anywhere near cryptos if you're a CFO. But it, it's something that eventually that they're going to have to confront. It hasn't happened yet in South Africa, but it's certainly happening overseas. What are the solutions in this space? Well, so the seed of most of the solutions is to give exposure to the asset loss, but through some kind of interface that is in a traditional way. And, and this then fits in with what individuals, companies, institutions are used to dealing with. They're used to dealing with the traditional channels and the traditional financial institutions. And uh, so in essence, an interface has to be created that is like a normal investment in, 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 in quotation marks. And similarly, custody solutions need to be created. And what these custody solutions do is they fit into the normal systems and processes that companies have or that individuals are used to dealing with. And for example, at Jaltech, we then provide these services and we provide this, this, kind of, this, this kind of usual interface. And we impose, on, on, uh, we impose our own checks and balances, similar to, as we talked about, where we check signatories, we flag suspicious transactions and then check them with the people trading, et cetera. Um, and another way to also do, another, another thing to do is to then provide the actual service. So where people don't know how to execute on trades, there's a lot of institutions that are providing almost like a stockbroking service saying, we'll actually execute on trades for you in the cryptocurrency space. Um, but I think the most exciting thing is where one actually takes all of the positives of the traditional space. Um, and so what, what we're doing is we're launching a debenture and a debenture is just a, a normal traditional debt instrument. And the benefit of doing this is that the debenture will, will track the price of uh, Bitcoin. There'll be another one for Ethereum, another one for an index. Um, and so give people the same exposure as holding the underlying assets, except all of the problems and difficulties around that are solved. And a lot of people are used to holding uh, these kind of assets. People may not be aware, but if you're in a unit trust, for example, you might have exposure to bonds, and that's a similar type of instrument etc. And companies and financial institutions are very used to holding these types of instruments and it fits in with their processes. Um, and, and then we provide a, a valuation as well every month. So that then deals with the valuation question and the accounting question that we, we brought up earlier. But the most exciting thing about this is that it's regulated. And by making it regulated, you end up uh, solving a lot of problems. One is that a lot of financial advisors then can offer advice. Of course, the advisor needs to be comfortable with cryptocurrencies because that's the underlying thing behind the debenture. But now, even from a license point of view, they're able to now provide advice because the, the actual form of the note is, or the actual form of the investment is something that they're allowed to do. And that then allows them to provide that advice. We also impose the checks and balances we talked about. And then furthermore, this, the, the company issuing these, these investments is a public company, and that's regulated by the Companies Act. So what we're doing through this is we're actually providing, we're actually taking on regulations voluntarily. A lot of people who are providing these investments, they quite enjoy the unregulated nature of it. 
it makes things easier and that they don't need to report to anyone and so on. They don't need to, do, to provide any, uh, any reporting to any regulators. Um, however, that then is what gives people the heebie-jeebies because of all the, all the kind of uh, scams and so on that we've seen. So by taking on voluntary regulation, that then provides peace of mind. There's levels of governance, there's checks and balances that are executed by third parties, et cetera. Um, and that then, that then allows people to come in, as well as especially financial institutions who need a certain level of governance and regulation to be able to, to get exposure to this asset. Okay, so you're going to be launching a debenture. What is going to be the underlying? Is it is it Bitcoin? So there's, there's actually going to be three debentures. Uh, one is going to be Bitcoin. The second is going to be Ethereum. And the third is an index. And this index is of some of the largest cryptocurrencies and tokens, but excluding uh, cryptocurrencies and tokens that aren't sound or that are stable coins, because that's not really interesting. That just kind of stays pegged to a certain certain value. Right. So the, the person owning the debenture is going to have the benefit of regulatory oversight for a start, uh, sound custody. No doubt you've got the very best uh, custodians, institutional grade custodians on board. Am I correct? That's right. That's right. So it's going to have sound custody built in and, of course, uh, professional uh, trade execution. So it'll be very much, uh, not very much, but in a, in a bit like grayscale trust there where you, you're buying shares in a company where the underlying is Bitcoin. And the, the interesting thing about grayscale is it traditionally traded at a premium to Bitcoin is now at a discount to Bitcoin. Um and that premium discount to, to the underlying NAV of Bitcoin is itself an interesting story because it tells you, you know, what institutional demand is all about. I would imagine there would be something similar with these debentures that you're talking about. Depending on supply and demand, there will be a premium or a discount for the debentures. Well, Kieran, the one of the features of Grayscale, as you may be aware, or maybe a bug, is that you can't actually redeem. You can't actually get your, your money out once you buy in. And they are they are planning some liquidity, which is which is I guess in the pipeline. However, when it comes to when it comes to this debenture, we'll be providing twenty four hour liquidity on any trading day, and so so any any business day. We know crypto trades twenty four seven, but any business day. So what this means is that if someone feels that they that once they've subscribed, they want to get out, they can get their money back within twenty four hours. Okay, a lot of people will say, "Why don't I just go and do it direct? Why don't I go and you know buy Bitcoin itself or Ethereum itself? Why do I have to go through you?" What's your answer to that? Well, we believe that eventually everyone's going to get there. Um, they may, it might be for some people they're already there, they're very comfortable, they research, they they understand the risks of self custody and so on, and but they're comfortable with that and they are doing that and they aren't necessarily our client. Um, some companies, they're going down the route of microstrategy. MicroStrategy has published all of their information publicly, um, so, so people can follow their recipe. Uh, but for a lot of individuals, a lot of companies, and for financial institutions, uh, that's not the path that they want to go down. That's not their focus. Um, we think that eventually everyone will get there. You know, Five, 10 years from now, it'll just be totally the norm, and everyone will be very used to it as well as there'll be better user interfaces on wallets and so on. And all the risks I'm sure will become much lower. But initially right now, that isn't open to everyone. And um, there is, you know, some people might just say, well, I'll just wait till then. However, there's an opportunity right now, which is that um, that currently when, when it gets there, 
then the asset prices demand will be much higher, of course, and the asset prices will have grown. And so the opportunity for people that want to get in now but can't necessarily uh, uh, upskill themselves or build out all this infrastructure, put in the effort and time to do so, it's an easy way for them to get in. They can get financial advice. They can enjoy the, the benefits of a regulated instrument. And they have peace of mind that the custody and execution is handled professionally. Just talk about the liquidity aspect of this. You say that there'll be 24-7 liquidity. In other words, if I own the debenture and I want to sell it, this is a problem that you have with Grayscale. You've got these, these lockup periods. And, um, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Bitcoin, once it's bought into Grayscale, that's it. It'll never, it'll never leave. And they've got something now, I think it's of the order of 680,000 Bitcoin. The, the danger a lot of people are saying is that these institutional buyers, they're eventually going to own this whole space. Well, I guess that's fairly obvious. It's where the big money is. Talk about the liquidity side of this. Is there a, a private exchange and over-the-counter desk that you're going to be running to allow people to buy and sell? Well, so what we'll do is that when someone provides a redemption notice, and provided that it isn't an event where a lot of redemption notices come in, come in at once, then the liquidity periods might be a bit longer. But when someone pro provides a, a redemption notice, the, a certain amount of underlying Bitcoin is sold on the, on, the, on the exchanges in South Africa. And then that liquidity is then provided to the person. The other interesting thing is that um, people have the option to actually provide Bitcoin into the company and get a debenture for that or redeem their debenture for Bitcoin directly. Um, and so when we were talking about the premium or the possible discount, there'll be an arbitrage opportunity for people who, if for some reason it's at a premium or a discount, people can buy Bitcoin directly, put it in and get a debenture, which might be if it's at a premium worth more, or if it's at a, at a discount, they'll do it the other way. They'll redeem the debenture to get out, to get out the coins. So the company itself provides the liquidity by redeeming the debenture or issuing the debenture. And they do this by selling the underlying cryptocurrency in question. And when they issue a new debenture, the proceeds are used to buy more cryptocurrency. Is this a world first that you're embarking on here? Um, in fact, this is how a lot of ETFs work. We know that the JSE in South Africa has been reluctant to create a, a, a Bitcoin ETF, but something that's not known is uh, not, not widely known is that this is how ETFs actually track the underlying quite closely. And so we're just replicating the ETF, but in the unlisted space. It's still a public company, but of course it's unlisted. Um, so we're just replicating that structure. So in terms of, is this, is this a world first in terms of um, allowing redemptions in and out and allowing redemptions in kind in and out? We've seen it a lot and it's, we're not reinventing the wheel. However, uh, is, it a, is it a world first for cryptocurrencies? Uh, I'm not sure. We, we haven't seen anyone else doing it. Uh, it's not like it's different from Grayscale in the way that we're doing it, um, but I can't definitively tell you it's a world first. Okay, I'm sure we're going to find out more about this at the Alternative Investment Conference, which is going to be held on the 4th of August, which is now just a short while away. And this year, the Alternative Investment Conference is about cryptos and the blockchain. So tell us a little bit about that. You're involved in setting this up as well, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing a bit more about the debenture that you've just been talking about. That's right. Yeah, we are presenting at the at the conference, and we're the lead sponsor there. The alternative marketplace. They're holding the first cryptocurrency conference. We're going to be holding it virtually, of course, because of uh, of the pandemic, and it's um, it's happening on the fourth of August. The aim of the event is to provide the South African market with insights from 
industry leaders from all over the world, and of course, locally. And we want to introduce potential investors, whether they be individuals, corporates, et cetera. Uh, we want to provide them with credible cryptocurrency investment options. Uh, and of course, the exchanges themselves. The event will, will extend its focus beyond just cryptocurrency investments. We'll also be looking at globally recognized cryptocurrency experts talking about the latest regulatory developments, the tax positions. Of course, there's a lot of uncertainty around tax. SARS has issued some guidance, but there isn't necessarily a bunch of case law. And so seeing as it's a, it's a new asset class, it'll be very interesting to hear what the tax experts have to say about it, as well as other developments relating to how blockchain is changing the way people do business, not just in the financial system. The role of NFTs or non-fungible tokens in the financial markets. And of course, some of the normal topics with people who are used to the cryptocurrency space, such as the evolution of money, better payment systems, et cetera. But Kieran, I'd like to highlight the highlight of the event, which is that there'll be a debate between two experts. The topic will be, should we be investing in cryptocurrencies? And on the one side, against will be David Shapiro from Sassafin Wealth. And on the other side will be globally recognized cryptocurrency expert uh, and TV host, Ren Nurner. Yes, we had Ren uh, on the podcast a week ago, and we were talking about that then. I think that's a great debate. So Ren is going to be arguing in favor of cryptos as an investment. And I think you also laid out a pretty compelling case today for that. David Shapiro, however, um, does he have a little bit of a bumpy road ahead of him arguing against it, given the, the rate of adoption that's happening worldwide? I still, you know, there's, there's roughly, what, 100 million people that own Bitcoin or have owned it in the last few years. But the figure has grown. I think a lot of people in the last few months have been trying to sell because they're underwater with their Bitcoin. However, the rate of adoption is the thing to keep an eye on. And that will be an interesting debate. Uh, Rand did go into some of his reasons why you cannot ignore crypto and you certainly cannot ignore Bitcoin as part of your portfolio as a, as a responsible investor. And um, maybe your final thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, one of the things whenever people talk to me about cryptocurrencies and I mentioned some of the, the reasons why people should uh, take notice of this asset class at the very least, um, people often have many conflicting views. For me, the most important reason is that the technology outside of just Bitcoin is totally mind-blowing. When one considers smart contracts, when one considers decentralized ledgers, et cetera, and what's possible with that, it, it's absolutely amazing. And, there's, and I have no doubt that it's going to be used pervasively throughout the world. What it will be for most of us is that we won't even notice. We'll just see new technology. We won't even know that it's running on Bitcoin, but we'll see new and more amazing technology. Of course, wearing my investor hat, I want exposure to those investments because I want to enjoy the growth and value from that. A lot of people, of course, then debate the true usefulness of it and so on. And so the point I always land on, because no one can argue it, it's based purely on fact, there's no speculation about it, is that asymmetric returns. You can only lose what you put in, but you can get much more than what you put in. Not knowing the future, that's true that you can only lose what you put in, but you can get a multiple of what you put in. And so a small allocation does make sense. It's almost like a call option, right? That's, that's exactly right. Great stuff, Gaurav Nair. We're going to leave it there. That's a lot to unpack and digest. And I recommend that people sign up for the Alternative Investment Conference, which they can do at moneyweb.coza. 
there is a link there to the Alternative Investment Conference site. And we look forward to catching up again with you on the 4th of August. Gaurav, thanks very much for coming on to Money with Crypto. Thanks for having me, Jared. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.